Welcome to The Strong Room, presented by Macmillan Estate Planning. I'm Herb Ham. What do Princess Diana, Michael Jackson, Conway Twitty, Robin Williams, and Farrah Fawcett have in common when it comes to estate planning? As Melanie Grant with Macmillan Estate Planning points out, we can learn valuable lessons from what happened with the estates of these celebrities. We start with Diana's Letter of Wishes which, though well-intentioned, unfortunately was not legally binding. Whenever you do something outside of a will or a legal document that the courts recognize and will uphold, you run the risk of your wishes not being fulfilled. And a letter of wishes is wonderful if you want to maybe carry on a family tradition. Um, There's certain things that you would like to say to your family that you wouldn't normally include in a will. But if you have a specific assets that you guarantee you want to go to specific people, it must be written in your will. Uh, this goes for codicils. Whenever you do a codicil to a will, which is kind of an addition to a will, you open yourself up as well that maybe at the time you wrote the codicil, was it under undue influence? Were you, did you have capacity? Did you really understand what you were writing? Um, because it might contradict your existing legal. So we always suggest to families, redo the legal entirely. Don't do it piecemeal. When you do piecemeal, oftentimes that's where you're opening doors for people to contest. And, and really that then being specific is truly important. Absolutely. And this is where good planning, revisiting your plan is so critical because we change. We don't just stay status quo. And as our lives evolve and our wishes change, that needs to be reflected in our documents. And that is a big trigger. So big life-changing events, you get sick, uh, you get remarried, you get divorced, you new move to a new place, uh, you acquire new assets or you sell assets or your children become of age. These All these type of life-changing events need to be reflected in your legal plan. Michael Jackson, with good intent, creates a trust, but he didn't fully fund it. Sometimes we see this, families will come in and they're like, we have a trust. And we're like, okay. And when we start actually looking at the trust, they haven't moved enough asset base into the trust to protect their assets. And that's the whole point of a trust. Um, a trust provides so much protection. It's creditor protected. It's private if it's done correctly. Um, it, it basically acts as if you're still alive, so your wishes continue on. But if you fail to actually execute that document by moving your assets into the trust, then you're losing the whole protection of the trust of what you've established. And a very unfortunate story surrounded the passing of country music legend Conway Twitty, who died without a will. So he died intestate, is what we call it. And so the courts appointed trustees, executors, and they started trying to execute this estate. Unfortunately, because there was no strict guideline of to where he wanted his asset base, the family started to fight. The children didn't like the new spouse. The ex-spouse started to come forward saying, I'm entitled to this. So what they ended up doing, and this is so incredibly sad, is they auctioned off the entire estate. 
And we're talking baby pictures, love letters, marriage certificates, everything and everything that this man had created in his lifetime, his life work, his significance was auctioned off to the public. And so the children were trying to buy back their baby pictures, if you could imagine. This is not where we want families to be ever. And of course, in the case of Robin Williams, there was confusion over the role of trustees in his estate. When building a trust, you have an opportunity to create anything you want. It's a blank slate. And so you can add multiple layers of trustees, co-trustees, to be able to manage that trust in the event something happens, somebody passes away, um, somebody is just unable to act. And we always assume that, oh, well, I've named this person as my executor or this person as my trustee and they'll take care of it. But we evolve in life and life changes. And so does your plan need to accommodate that. And so we always suggest to our families when building a trust, always add multiple layers that way, it doesn't end up in the court where people can contest it. And this is how a trust is end up, ended up in the court system and become public. Because we talk about on the program so often that trusts are private. And they are private if they're structured properly and you put all the safeguards in place. And unfortunately, he didn't right. have that safeguard and now it's exposed. And in the planning you do then is one of those layers like having a backup trustee and particularly someone you can trust? We always, well, we call it disaster clause. Let's disaster clause your estate. Um, unfortunately, we had one case in uh, a family had come in to see us and we had done their full plan and we had suggested to them, let's disaster clause your estate. They, about a year later, they were traveling as a family with grandpa and grandma and only the children survived in a car accident. But because we had given them the recommendation of putting layers of trustees in place on their family trust, that trust then still fulfills their wishes and that legacy still continues on, protects their children, protects what they've worked so hard to create. And we also suggest to families, if you don't have somebody that you could appoint as a trustee, then we always suggest an institution because institutions don't die. They tend to survive, and that would eliminate then a trust becoming public and then challenged. And to conclude this segment, we'll look at the lesson we can learn from the case involving Farrah Fawcett. Um, the woman was a genius. She built a family trust specifically because her one son had addiction. And she built such a great trust that no matter what happened after her death, that trust was solid, ironclad, and it has protected that child from receiving a huge inheritance, which would possibly harm him um, because of his addiction. And so that trust is really relaying her legacy onward and caring for her child as if she was still alive. And mentioning that story uh, reminds us, too, uh, of another point, Re Robin Williams, is that he directed that the trusts be distributed in thirds at ages 21, 25, and 30, which I guess begs the question, um, how responsible are people at this age with a huge sum of inheritance? That is a a good point for families to consider. Some children are overly responsible, and then some children mm, 
might not be as responsible with their finances or their lifestyle choices. And so giving a child a huge gift at, say, 21, maybe when they're in party mode or they're not focused yet on their life, that inheritance may be squandered. And I don't believe that's what parents t- intend for their children or hope. The wonderful thing with a trust is you can design it so that if you have a child that is exceptionally well um well, responsible around their finances and, and they're goal oriented and career minded and they have that ability to manage it, then you can, yes, definitely gift them at certain times. If a child maybe suffers from addiction or has some kind of physical, um, concerns that they might need more care throughout their lifetime, you can then ladder it. You can also say in within the trust, maybe you can only live off what the trust creates as form of income, but the principle remains intact throughout that child's lifetime. The beautiful thing about a trust is you can create it to be anything you want it to be. It's your wishes. And so it has to be reflective of every specific family. A blank slate doesn't work. And that's why this, when you see this at certain increments, 21 is a very common number, age 25, 30, I think when you get into your 30s, a lot more freedom, definitely, especially if a child is at that age and they've exhibited responsibility. But you can also put in trustees to oversee how they spend it as well. So you can put in multiple layers of protection so that if your child at age 21 still doesn't quite have the ability to manage it, then you're going to have that another safety net. And I think what you're saying also shines light on this idea about fair and equal. Oh, fair and equal, not necessarily the same thing. And this is one of the concerns that a lot of our families come in and want to have addressed. They may have a child working in a business and helping grow that business, whereas another child is not. They might have a child with addiction, one not, one cares for mom and dad, one doesn't. So where does that balance come? The beautiful thing of a trust is it can be completely private. So if you want to divide your estate, maybe not equally, but fairly, you can do that without causing any kind of disharmony within your family unit. And again, that's the benefit of planning out and being realistic of where your children are really at and what are their needs and what have they contributed to help you grow what is so significant in your life. When we come back after this short break, a closer look at what it means to have a solid legal plan in place. This is The Strong Room. 